Amen. Thank you, men. What a blessing. The mercy seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the glorious privilege that we as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ have in proclaiming that mercy seat. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I invite you to turn in your copy of the scripture to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to focus on the first 10 verses of this uh, wonderful letter written to a church in turmoil. A church that had more than one problem. I hear a lot of people from time to time ask questions about local churches. And I've heard this question asked more than once. What's wrong with the church? Well, this morning, that question could very easily have been asked by Paul as he was writing these believers in Corinth that were a part of a local, vocal, visible body of people. But yet he didn't state what's wrong with the church, though you, you pick up that throughout 1 Corinthians Instead, he gives us several things as he begins this letter with what's right with the church. So this morning, I want us to focus on that question. What's right with the church? Let's read together in the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ." God is faithful by whom you serve, called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. May we bow in prayer. Father... We ask that you would give us understanding to this, your word. We ask, Father, that we as the local, visible body of Christ gathered as this church, Father, we would embody the descriptions that are found here in the scripture, that your word and your description of your church. Father, today we would leave from this place committed to that which Christ loves the bride of Christ, the local church. Father, that you would be honored and pleased to grow your church, not just in 
numbers, though, Father, that's your prerogative, your desire, for it's your church if you should grow numerically. But, Father, most of all, that we would grow to be more Christ-like, that there be no divisions among us. Father, we thank you for Jesus, our Savior, and that he paid for all of our sin, and that he is our mercy seat, as the men sang this morning. Father, we thank you that those that are part of this body, this local church, are those that have turned in faith to the mercy seat, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one whose blood was shed for our sin and was buried and raised the third day. We pray, Heavenly Father, that he would be exalted in the lives of your people that form this body, this church. For we pray in Jesus' lovely and wonderful name. Amen. As we ask that question, what's right with the church, I need to give some explanation that when I speak of the church, and I'm convinced in the New Testament that 99.5% of the time when the New Testament refers to a church, it's referring to a local, vocal, visible body of people. We see in this text as well, Verse 2, that Paul says it's to the church. This letter was written to the church of God, which is at Corinth. There are many today that are very comfortable of saying, oh, I'm a member or I'm a part of the universal church. And by that, they may be expressing that they're a part of the family of God, that they're saved. But they use that too often as an excuse to disrespect to disregard the Lord's church, which is a local, vocal, visible body of people. That there may be things, as it was at Corinth, that are wrong in the body among the people. Now let's face it, folks, we're sinners. This morning I ought to confess to you what a sinner I am, but I think you know me. I think that's pretty... Somebody said amen. At that point, I thought I heard that. But you, you know, you know we are all sinners. And I'm deserving of hell. There's not a difference in me and, and, and you or anyone else that we are sinners separated from God apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's by His grace and His mercy that He saves us. And I trust this morning that if you're here or if you're listening, you're watching that you can say with certainty that you've been born again. But I also will say on the authority of God's Word that if you're a child of God, you ought to be a part of a local, vocal, visible body of believers. Sometimes the word church is used in the Scripture in a generic sense where it's saying like the churches, but it's again in reference to not a universal body everywhere. Adrian Rogers was fond of saying when somebody would tell him that they were a part of the universal church, he'd say, oh, do you teach in the universal Sunday school? Do you sing in the universal choir? Those may seem like curt and smart answers, but there is some logic that fails when we know what the Scripture teaches about our responsibility to the local church. And listen to me carefully this morning. This may squeak out many times. 
But no disease, no pandemic gives you the right to disregard or disrespect your responsibility as a born-again believer, a part of the local, vocal, visible church. I'm saddened by those that have been comfortable not being a part of the church. We've met all the way through, have we not? We've been faithful in gathering. There's some things we haven't been able to do, but, but there's never been. The coronavirus did not create a spiritual void or a, a lack of commitment in people's lives. It revealed it. It was there before. It was there before this thing came. And I'm so ready for it to be gone. And not to be a... a we, Brother Mark mentioned to me this morning that we watched as folks come in. We... we Aren't you ready for us not to have to worry about all of these things? It's being good neighbors that we do and so forth. I understand all of that. God help us to be the church and uh, to understand the things that are right about the church and to emphasize those. Why? Because the church is what God is working through and moving through in this age. I know there are a lot of good parachurch, para meaning alongside of, parachurch agencies and boards and things like that that people get involved with and they send their tithes to and things like that. I, I, you, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that personally. I think the local church is that, but, but we'll get into that at a future date. Uh, but the bottom line, the church is where it's at. Grammatically incorrect. The church is, is what the Lord is using in this age until the trumpet sounds and the, the dead in Christ will rise and then we which are alive and remain. The, the body of Christ will be raised up. Some say, well, what church? Uh, you say it's a local church. He's coming for his church. Which one? All of them. Those that have been faithful, those that, have, uh, that are born again, those that are the saints of God redeemed. There'll be some that by his grace, aren't you glad he's gracious? Dear friend, May we focus on what's right with the church. Many, uh, many view their association with the church in a very casual way. Like, well, I just don't have time right now. It's kind of like the Kiwanis. It's kind of like the, uh, the Lions Club. It's kind of like, I just got to put those on the back burner right now. There's no justification biblically for that. Christ loved the church. And he gave himself for it. The church is compared or used the metaphor of a, the bride of Christ. Christ loves his bride. And I'm grateful to be a part of a local body of believers. We are the local representation of the bride of Christ. There are others as well. I'm not saying we're the only one and we're not, we're not cultish or anything like that. There are many. But let's focus on what's right with the church. What are the things that are right with the church? Well, it's right in its origin. Its origin. Verse 2, unto the church of God which is at Corinth. Unto the church of God. Who originated the church? The Lord did. This church, though it may be a local church, body of believers and may have those that invested some 145 years ago 
as Ebenezer Baptist Church, though there were those that invested and began and such, but folks, it did not originate with them. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ originated in every local body, local representation of the overall body of Christ originated with God. When did the church begin? Well, there's difference of opinion, but I, I, I lean toward when Christ began calling those disciples, those apostles. Some say it was Acts chapter 2. I think that was the embodiment of power for the church and that the Holy Spirit endued them with power, but, but we won't part fellowship over that. But the church, my friend, what I'm emphasizing is not a man-made institution. I had a member of, of a church, the first one I pastored, that he told me uh, there was some fussing about uh, a particular fraternal brotherhood of men. I'm not going to say which one, but there's a jar that's named for the same organization. But anyway, this particular, this particular guy said to me, he said, anybody can get in the church, but our organization, it takes a lot of requirements and a lot of faithfulness to get there. Well, he may have been right. I disagreed with him on, on that. Not anybody can get in the church. You've got to be born again, my friend. You've got to be saved. And there's no doubt in my mind. I'm not pointing anybody, saying anybody, but there's no doubt in my mind. As Billy Graham said many years ago, the greatest mission field in all the world is sitting on a pew on Sunday mornings. A lot of people think they are saved because they come to a meeting. But the church did not originate as an organization, the glass jar fraternal brotherhood of men uh, organization. It didn't originate like that. It originated with God. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I say unto thee, you are Peter, Simon Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter was not the rock. His confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the rock. So, what's right with the church? Well, the way it originated, it began. We didn't, this body of believers may have began meeting together in whatever 145 years ago would be. Was it, I'm getting my years mixed up. That'd be, anyway, I uh, should have done the math. But folks, there is no force on earth or in hell that can destroy what God has built. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And those who've been called out, he says, to those who are sanctified in Christ, called to be saints. Who's a saint? You say, well, there's Mother Teresa. No, folks. The Bible says those who are saints are those that are born again. No organization, no religious body can deem one person or another as a saint. That's what God does when you are saved. S-A-V-E-D, saved. He sets you apart. To those who are sanctified, set apart in Christ Jesus. You're not set apart by how you act. Some think, well, okay, if I get my hair cut just right, or if I have the right uh, uh, study Bible, or if I have all of these, that, that makes me uh, set apart unto the Lord. No, friend, God sets you apart as you yield your life to Him, as you, you're born again, positionally He sets you apart right then, but progressively, day by day, as you grow into Christ, as you are conformed to His image, 
You are set apart unto Him. Isn't that wonderful? What's right with the church? Well, the way it originated is right. That's what's right. Secondly, what's right with the church? Well, uh, the, the, way, the, the ordination of the church. Or what's been decreed about it, about the church. Look at verse 2 and go on. Those who are uh, sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Both theirs and ours. The church, my friend, is not an organization. It is an organism. It is alive. It is the church, and, and though we pray it will never cease to meet in a, a, and be called Belmont First Baptist or to meet in this facility or this location or whatever, but my friend, the church will go on until Jesus calls His bride out. That's why we ought to love the church. That's why we ought to serve the church. That's why we ought to live for Christ within the confines of the church. Paul reminds these believers at Corinth that they are the church that they've been placed by God in that community. Now sadly, you've read 1 Corinthians in the past, sadly some were corrupted by Corinth. Some of the worldliness and uh, uh, evil abominations of that society in that age, not unlike our day today, had corrupted the church uh, in, in some of some respects, there were some heinous things that were taking place. But he still called it the Lord's church at Corinth. And they were blessed to be a part of the church. Can I ask you a question this morning? Do you, do you sense a blessing to be a part of the Lord's church? Have you cast your lot that this is where you're to be? And that God's using you here? That God has a purpose for you here? And He has sanctified you. He make you pure and holy. Render you clean. The church, my friend, was bought with a price, redeemed of God, washed and made clean by the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. You can't separate the true New Testament biblical church and the cross of Calvary, the message of grace. Not everybody that calls themselves a church is a New Testament Church. What's wrong with the church? Well, a lot of people have answers to that. I don't know this morning what to say other than to tell you what's right with the church. It originated with God. It's ordained that it be made up of those who are sanctified, set apart unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you sense in your life that you are a saint, a child of God? You may not be very saintly, as an adjective to describe your life, but as a noun, you are a saint if you're born again, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior. And then I ask you, are you growing? Are you progressing? Are you sanctified progressively, being conformed to the image of Christ? There are a lot of organizations that do good works and they benefit the community. That, the, 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 the glass jar organization does good things. The, uh, another organization helps to get glasses. And we've donated old glass, uh, eyeglass frames to, to, to the Lions Club and stuff like that. But you know, those are good organizations that do good, civic organizations. But my friend, let me, let me be careful to point to you that nobody, none of those organizations can boast of obtaining sanctification. 
None of those can say that they're set apart unto God with a straight face and a biblical, an accurate biblical interpretation or, or, or exegesis. So what's right with the church? It's right in its origin. It's right in its ordination. Thirdly, it's right in the opportunities that are before the church. Verse 3, he says, Grace to you, peace from God our Father and our, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace always precedes peace. Till you know grace, you'll not experience peace. Maybe that's what's missing in your life. But lo, notice what he says in verse 4. And I think he's speaking about the opportunities that are before the church. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus that you were enriched in everything by Him in all utterance and all knowledge. Churches for years have struggled to look for the next best thing, the next best program, the next best solution in a box that Lifeway can put out or the bookstore can give them or some conference they can send the pastor and church staff to and that it will make it a, a, a thriving megachurch. Look right here at the opportunity. He says, I'm thankful that the grace that was given to you and that you were enriched. That's a rich word, my friend. That you were given everything you need. You were enriched in everything. How? By going through the seven steps of sanctification? No. You are enriched in everything by Him. You have all the opportunity to be as close to Christ that you need. Hear me this morning. As close to Christ as you desire to be because it's in Him. Not in the eloquence of some speaker. Not in the, uh, the latest fad of, 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 of the last Bible study or latest Bible study written by this author or that author. But you, there, there's opportunities for the lost to be saved. That's verse 4, the grace of God. There's opportunities for sanctification of the believer. It is the heart of this pastor, and I believe the leadership of this church, seven deacons that are unified together, it is the heart of us to, to return to the things that are important. Bible study, small group, Sunday school, whatever you want to call it that we get to that when, when we can as soon as possible? Why? Because we like doing it and we want to count the numbers and we'll get a better offering? No. Because sanctification, because the Scripture admonishes time and time again, Paul says that you would learn of Christ. He wrote to the Colossians and said, Seek the things which are above. We have a responsibility to teach and train. The opportunities are before us, opportunities for the lost to be saved. We have a message of grace, don't we? Folks, there's not, a, there's not a soul in this community, in this state, and apart from God having given them up to a reprobate mind, there's not a soul that's beyond the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why would we hide the message? Why would we, why would we silence the message? There are opportunities for souls to be saved. There are opportunities for the saved to flourish, to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The abundance that we have as the church in Christ Jesus our Lord 
And everybody wants to be a part of an organization that supports their cause. I, and I'm not knocking, I know Relay for Life. We, that used to be a big thing in another place where we lived. And folks would, would, boy, they would anchor down, they'd build booths to put in the city park. And boy, that was the biggest and best thing they always thought. But let, them, let someone ask them to be a part of Vacation Bible School. Oh, I'm busy, that's a tough time of the year. All these other organizations may be good. I'm not downing them, I'm just saying, where's the church? Well, it's right because we have responsibilities. There's no limit to the opportunity of the church. Listen to Paul to the Ephesians, uh, Ephesian Christians. Ephesians 3 and verse 8, he says, Unto me, referring to himself, who is less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, you have a tremendous opportunity to make known the unsearchable riches of Christ. You may can tell folks how to knit. <laughs> I don't know. Tell them how to do all kinds of beneficial things. You, you may be able to tell them. But folks, the greatest opportunity we have is to make known the unsearchable riches of Christ. What's right about the church well, it's right that it originated with Christ. It was ordained for the right purpose. And it has opportunities of the Lord that we are obligated to. What's right with the church? Well, verses 7, 8, and 9 speak to that obligation. So that you come short in no gift. <laughs> Folks, we have, everything, we have access to everything that heaven affords. Everything you need to be effective for Christ. Everything this church needs. There's in some folks' mind right now, they're thinking, oh, if we just had some, you know, rich millionaire to leave us some money or give us money, we'd be, we'd be set. Folks, we have all, anything that God ordains that we ought to do, He'll give the resources that we do it. We don't have to run cakewalks and sidewalk sales and yard sales and, 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 and all of that to fund the ministry of the church. I'm appalled at churches that want to ask lost people to support the ministry of the church. Now we don't go through the offering and say, well, this person's not a believer, throw his money away. Or don't accept. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. But, but when we have to get out into the community and start doing jobs and things, that's not the ministry, that's not the method he says that he will fund it. How does he fund it? Well, the only method that I see in the New Testament or in the whole Bible is that of tithes and offerings. Are you faithful into that? It's a part of the church. You have a responsibility. You say, well, but I like, you know, I like the uh, um, whatever. I, I'd be careful. I like this organization, that organization. So I send my tithe there. I don't find that to be biblical. I, I, don't, I don't want to be offensive. I don't... I, most of the time I don't really care if I'm offensive, but I'm not trying to make anyone mad or trying to single anybody out. But, but the church is where it's at. Do you love the church? Then support it. Because he says he'll give everything. The access to everything that heaven affords is available to us. There's no excuse for the church to fail in regards to our biblical obligations. We're expected to live and serve the Lord according to His will for our lives. 
And you'll find His will in the Scripture. Don't think that God's will is something that's unbiblical. Just because you feel good doing it, it's in the Word of God. My fear is that many people never comprehend or embrace their obligations unto the Lord through His church. Can I say that again? My fear is that many in the church that are on the membership rolls never embrace their obligations unto the Lord through His church. I envisioned a chorus of amens at that point, but I think it's more oh me, right? I've failed in my obligations. If you're honest, many of us, all of us probably have to say we failed in our obligations. We're not saved, my friend, to sit on the pew of ease and comfort. We're not an organization like some civic club, some extracurricular activity after school, teenagers, young people. We're not an organization like some athletic club or fan club. I think that's what a lot of people think the church is. We're just fans of Jesus. Rah, rah, ree. God help us. And look at this. Look at the anticipation. We're obligated to serve the Lord. We're obligated to wait on the Lord so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation, the unveiling of Christ who will confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know, my friend, that Jesus is coming again? This morning I I read, uh, when I first waked up and I looked through my notes and different things, but I was reading an email that I get from from a ministry that's concerned with prophecy. And it was telling me about some of the things, or anybody that read it, it's telling about the... Events of the Middle East. Do you know what happened last week? The historic, give a little context, right? (laughs) The historic signing of the peace agreement between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, uh, I wrote them down, Bahrain, and, and, uh, well, Saudi Arabia has opened its airspace to Israel. Folks, that's significant in the events of prophecy. And I'm not, a, I'm not a very good student of prophecy, but I know this much, friends. Jesus is coming soon. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, while we can have our, our cupcake meetings and all of these things, if we're not pointing people to Christ, if we're not serving as the church in the spot, the place that He's put us in this community and telling folks that Jesus is coming again, then we're failing we have an obligation unto the Lord. And what's right? Well, it's, it's right that we serve in that capacity. Why? Because He will present us, confirm us to be blameless. Here is an exhortation for righteous living. You may say, Preacher, you know, what, what do you want me to do? Here it is. That He will present you or confirm you to the end and be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know that our sin, and a lot of people, well, all of us cling to this. Our sin was judged in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. You are saved by what Jesus did for you. That is grace and mercy. You are saved because you believe upon Him. You trust in Him. 
God graciously saves you, divinely saves you. But as believers, we will stand and give an account unto the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That will not be in regards to sin per se. That sin penalty was paid for at the cross of Calvary. But what did you do with what the Lord gave you? How did you serve Him? How did you live for Him? How did you love what He loved? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that every one may receive the things done in His body according to that which He has done, whether it be good or bad. If Christ were to come right now, are you fully satisfied with what you did, with what He gave you? Be honest. You can't lie to Him. What did He give you? You may say, well, I don't have much, so I guess I'm not much. To whom much is required, much is given, much is required. To whom little is given, little is required as well. Judgment seat. And we are to continue in intimacy. Look at verse 9. God is faithful. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Paul said to, and I mention this verse quite often because it means so much to me. In, in, in the letter to Timothy, the first letter I believe it was, Paul said to Timothy that when we are faithless, he remains faithful. I identify with the first part, I'm faithless too often. But it helps my soul, it helps my spirit, it helps yours to remember he is faithful. He says here, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Folks, Christ came into the world to save sinners. And the church has been called to carry on the work of making known the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no new agenda. We have that responsibility. We understand the commission that Jesus gave before He ascended up into heaven. So the obligation that we have is what's right about the church. Have you apprehended that obligation? Have you signed on to that obligation? We are to be diligent in labor. Are you fulfilling the obligation? What does Jesus see as He looks upon our fellowship by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son? What's our fellowship in this church. Somebody might erroneously answer and say, well, since March, we haven't been able to have any fellowship. We hadn't been able to, and I don't know how we're going to do potlucks, but that, boy, you see what happened to me when we couldn't eat over the last six or seven months. I've been saying churches were killing me. It's not, but some think that fellowship involves cookies and Kool-Aid or chicken and kicking or something. I, I don't know. Uh, God help us that we understand our fellowship is with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what's right about the church. The intimacy that we enjoy. Continuing fellowship with the Lord. Enduring the difficulties. And finishing the journey that's set before us. Don't sit down and quit. The story that's to be told of your life and my life is not how we started the race, but how we'll finish it. One last thing. What's right about the church? The way it originated with Christ, with God. The, way, the, the, the decree or the ordination of the church. The opportunities given to the church. The obligation of the church. Lastly, look at the organization of it. Verse 10. 
What's right about the church? Well, the organization of it. Organization is key to any group's success. Even a living organism, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's he say? How does he tell us that we're to be organized? I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. The organization of the church The local church cannot function for God if Christ is not the head. The head of the church is not the pastor. The head of the church is not the deacons. The head of the church is not a patriarch or matriarch that has long-standing membership in the church. The head of the church, say it with me, friends, the head of the church is Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And our obligation is to seek the mind of Christ. And if we're, the problem is that some say they're seeking it, but they're not. He says, I plead with you to the church at Corinth. There was great division. There was. And Paul starts out, he didn't say, you're no longer the church. He said, you're still the church. But I plead with you in the name of Christ that you speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you. Paul wrote to the Philippian church where it was having some problems undoubtedly at, uh, at Philippi uh, with unity. And, and he called out two women, Yodius and Syntyche. I don't know if that's proper pronunciation, but that's the way I've always referred to them. Yodius and Syntyche. I don't know what their problem was. If they'd have had Facebook, it would have been ten times worse, whatever their problem was. I, I don't know, but Paul said to them, be of the same mind. How can we, Belmont First Baptist Church, be of the same mind? It's this, let this be our mind. Let this be the Word concerning Christ. The Word of God. Oh, there are a lot of people that can tell you what's wrong with the church. There are analysts. There are theologians. There are, there, there, there are consultants. And they can give you a long list of you better do things this way. If you don't, that's going to be wrong. My friend, I can look in the New Testament, though, and you can too, and we can see what's right with the church. And unity in Christ is what's right. If we are unified in Christ, we don't have to agree over the color of the carpet at times. We don't have to agree whether, uh, whether we ought to sing praise choruses or, or traditional hymns. We don't have to agree over that. But we do have to honor Christ in the way that we may disagree We don't have to agree whether a preacher preaches with a tie on or an open collar or jeans and flip-flops. We don't have to agree over those things. But we do have to agree over the message that's proclaimed from the messenger and that he be a God-called, God-sent messenger. What's right with the church? Well, the unity of the believers. One last Adrianism. Adrian Rogers said, Get everybody to love Jesus. And you've got a wonderful church. They don't have to agree on everything else. Isn't that good? What's right with the church? Last question, then we're through. Are you right with the church? I said it earlier, and I reemphasize it, this last several months, whatever, whether it's, I don't know if it's a conspiracy or connived or whatever, but I know this that, whatever it is, 
coronavirus pandemic did not cause your lack of commitment to the church. It revealed it. What's right with the church? Are you? Only those who are born again, only those who are saved. And this morning, the message of the church is that Christ saves sinners, of whom I'm chief. Paul said he was. I, I, I know my condition. He saved me because I trusted in Him. I believed He paid my debt fully and completely on the cross of Calvary. That's how He saves you. You place your faith, your trust in Him. I have no hope of heaven apart from Christ Jesus. When we're saved, we're called to be a part of a body of people. We're not called long-ranger Christians. We're called to be a part. We need each other. Two Can two walk together except they be agreed? Two are better than one. We're called together as a body of believers. There are many churches in this community and good churches and such, not downing any of them. But God's placed us here for the last 145 years. Are you right with the church, my Christian brother or sister? And I'm convinced that it's still right to make a public commitment of that desire to be a part of the Lord's church. It's just like marriage. If people just shack up together, they can break up so easily. When you honor the Lord in what's biblical, marriage, when you honor the Lord, He'll strengthen you, He'll bless you. And there's a right, whether it's right to walk an aisle or all of that, those are things that George Finney helped to invent and all of that in a public invitation. But have you cast your lot with the Lord's church and then are you faithful to that covenant that you've made? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and Lord, how I pray that you've moved in hearts. And Lord, that we're, we're of the same mind concerning Christ Jesus. Help us to know your word so we can know that mind. Help us to feed upon you and to glorify you in this community. That they may see our good works and glorify you. I pray for the lost to be saved. I pray for saved to be growing and conformed to the image of Christ. I pray, Heavenly Father, with thanksgiving for your goodness and your grace that's been evidenced to this church in the years gone by. And Father, we are confident that they're ours to be accessed in the days ahead till Jesus comes. We pray in Jesus' name.